You are Locked On Mavericks, your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is going to be huge. 360 in the contract, never that. I just take the contact, I'll bring it back. I'm running on the fast break, behind the back. Yeah, this, that, this, that, this, that. Dirk with the Welcome. You are locked on the Dallas Mavericks. This is Isaac Harris of Mavs.com, one of your co-hosts. And for the next two days, I will be joined by a friend of mine, a guy that's worked for the Mavericks for multiple years now, one of the best stats guys I know. He's a brainiac. He's the BK brawler himself, Bobby Corrala of Mavs.com. He'll join me today. And he'll join me tomorrow for a two-part, 10 questions on the NBA, on Mavs, on Mavs draft stuff, on prospects, on everything that pretty much Mavs fans are thinking about, talking about, tweeting, that's for sure, definitely tweeting about it right now. And it's fun. It's a long conversation. That's why we split it up into two parts. We had fun with it. This first part is pretty much just the first five questions. And you you see it's 40, 45 minutes. We talk about his tenure with the Mavs. Um, He gives a couple of stories. That's really cool. Just insight, a funny one, uh, and kind of behind the scenes look at a, a story about Dirk that just solidifies everything that you believe and think about Dirk Nowitzki because he's the best and you can't get over that. Um, but then we talk about, uh, we have a couple questions here in this first part about getting back to the playoffs, how far away that could be, what the next steps could look like, what the Mavericks need, uh, something uh, along those lines. And, and then we kind of talk about this trend and that this is the, this is the topic right now with Mavs fans and especially with the draft is the big man against against wings and do we do we replicate what the warriors and rockets and even kind of the celtics some are building their teams around these interchangeable bigs or do we kind of hit this next wave is the unicorn big men um wave coming is that is that the next wave and are we okay with drafting a big or a wing and how we should move? And we kind of talk about that whole movement. And Bobby has some good insight into that and sharing how he believes what this next wave is and different stuff. And then we kind of end the pod, uh, kind of, I'm throwing, I throw out different, uh, kind of not really superlatives or whatever about different prospects in the top 10, as far as like, what is a home run pick in the top 10? What's the highest ceiling type you know, prospect in the top 10, a best system fit and just different stuff like that. So it's fun. We talk, we, we joke, we throw different stuff back at each other, share different takes on different things. But so reminder, today is part one, part two drops tomorrow to where we go in kind of in a little bit more into prospects, different things like that, some second round guys. And uh, does he expect the draft order to change on draft night? All the different stuff that comes tomorrow on Friday. Right now is part one, so set back in your car, wherever you're at, if you're listening to it on this long weekend, enjoy Bobby and I talking about the draft, Mavs, NBA, anything you want to talk about with the Mavericks right now. Enjoy. The BK Brawler. Do you have any other nicknames? Uh, You mean do I have a nickname? (laughs) Because that is is not a sanctioned nickname. (laughs) You have to have some type of nickname. Uh, Has anybody ever called you Bob? 
Yeah, my, like my my family, my friends. Oh gosh, some of my friends. Yeah. Um, you can't go by yeah, Bob. Yeah, my my mom. Well, my both my parents are from Michigan. My mom calls me Bob, but she's got a real thick Midwestern accent, so it's more like Bab. Oh. Yeah. Bab. So. Bab. Yeah, but don't call me Bab. <laughs> Definitely don't call me Bab. Uh, yeah, in the NBA world, it's pretty much, especially like players and coaches. Um, if your name is more than one syllable, then they just shorten it to say your first and your last initials. So I'm just BK. Just BK. Yeah. We can't repeat what McMahon calls you, right? Uh, <laughs> what kind of what rating does this podcast? Have? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes he calls me Bobby, but for the most part, I don't think I've ever heard him call you Bobby. Yeah, usually it's just bleep or bleep bleep. Yeah. It just depends yeah. on his mood, I guess. Thanks, Tim. All right, so today we are going to do 10 questions with Bobby Corrala of Mavs.com. And a couple questions about his start with the Mavs, a couple questions about like him personally. And then we're going to get into some draft stuff, some prospect stuff, and just his general thoughts on like NBA, kind of where we're going, maybe, maybe some Mavs-centric stuff. we got to work around some parameters Oh, it's all good. Yeah, but we're gonna, but we can, we can make it work. Um, but first, so question number one: Tell me how long you worked for the Mavs, how it got started for you, and like what do you do, and like your specific role. Okay, um, so I'm really not sure what my job title is anymore. <laughs> I think it might have changed. It used to be digital content reporter, and now I think it's different. Because we're kind of we we've entered the scent era, so there's kind of some things are moving around. Yeah, um, the scent era. I like yeah. that for Cindy Marshall. Yeah, okay. I like yeah, that. it's a it's a, a a new page has been turned, uh, so to speak. But um, yeah, so I do digital content. I don't know if I report on it or if I manage it or if I coordinate it, but I do digital content. You do everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I just finished my third season full time, fifth season uh, including part time for two years, but. Um, for the first like three years, really four years, most of what I did was write, and I still do that a fair amount during the season. Um, actually, I still do that quite a bit during the season for like uh, programs and you know game time the magazine we sell and for the website as well. But uh, a big thing what that I'm focused on now is kind of helping uh, all other kinds of digital content. So that's video, that's podcasts. Uh, we do like the film room, for example, yeah. which uh, we didn't do a lot of this year because unfortunately there wasn't a lot of, uh, there weren't many high moments to, to really highlight. Um, but generally, like if a player is playing well for like a month or two or whatever, like uh, last season, two years ago, Justin Anderson had a really good game. So it's kind of like, is he about to be breaking out? Is this kind of like what's to come? And, uh, you know, it ended up not working out, unfortunately. But um, yeah, so the film room, we highlight different players. Uh, on tape, which is a lot of fun to do. And your uh, podcast, yeah, with podcast skin. numbers on the boards, yeah, which is weekly sometimes. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we're hopefully gonna be doing that a lot more actually, um, and more podcasting just in general. Yeah. Uh, now that we're teammates, but we'll see. Heck yeah. Yeah, but um, but yeah, so just a little bit of everything, man. Um, very lucky to do what I do. Uh, every day is new. Every day is something different. And I think the good thing here. Um, it's a Mark Cuban company, so we're like encouraged to innovate, you know, yeah. uh, try new things. So we have tried things that haven't worked. We've tried things that have really worked. And uh, it's just about kind of finding finding new stuff to do, seeing if it sticks. You know something that didn't work? What's that? The um, crock pot. 
Oh, man. We didn't get the first pick. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. Skin and I drank Dirk's beard all for nothing. I enjoyed it, though. Yeah, see, that was fun to make, and it was just a dumb idea, and we just figured, yeah, hey, but it was like do it. It was like one of those fun things. Though. Yeah, yeah, it's silly, it's dumb, it's fun. It was like five minutes, you know. Uh, the Dragon Ball Z thing didn't work either, and that really <laughs> broke my heart because that was a lot of fun to think about and do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think kind of like the... <clears throat> excuse me. Kind of like the changing tide uh, around the team now that we're rebuilding, getting younger. Yeah. Um, obviously, the last two seasons have been a lot of losses, and hopefully it's not going to be that way for long. But when you come off a, a run, like a 15-year run of being really good where it's like all business all the time and it's all about you know being real serious and winning, um, we've kind of gotten to like loosen up a little bit yeah. um, and try and find new ways to engage with people because sometimes it is kind of disappointing to watch losing, you know? I'm sure you guys feel that way. Because it's like, you don't want to, like, downplay the Warriors uh, team behind the team, the actual mm-hmm. team. But, like, their jobs of selling their content pretty easy, you know, yeah, when your exactly. team is yeah. is doing so well and you have so many faces. Like, and also, here's a video of Katie's third 50-point game of the week. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's like, pretty easy. So when your job to become more creative and um, not really selling, but interacting with fans and stuff, the fan base, is a little bit more difficult when you're going through rough patches as a franchise. Yeah, yeah. And now that they have Dennis, I mean, because last season, so I'm talking about 2016-17 for Dennis, um, the losses started piling up, and kind of the the general opinion around the team was they just don't have any young players to be excited about. Yeah. But then this year, you know, you have Dennis, um, Nerlens, whenever he was playing, Barnes is still young. We consider him young. Yogi coming in, like there were like more young players now, and then yeah. the Collinsworths and and the Motleys and the Joneses coming in at the end of the year, like. If people are going to be interested in young players, and I'm sure you guys notice this too, just with your pod listens, like depending on the subject material, people are thirsty for young oh, stuff, yeah. young talk. Just if he's like below 24, I yeah. don't care what he does, he could whatever. Just I want to talk about him. Yeah. So uh, there was more material to talk about with those guys this year, but hopefully, you know, whether they're young or whether they're old, hopefully there's some winning stuff to talk about next season. For sure, and I think there will be a the end of the latest numbers on the board to where you and Skin talked about draft prospects, different things. You spent the last chunk, there's like five minutes probably, ten minutes max or something, of talking about the turnaround. You laid out a bunch of stats Mm -hmm. about just, you had like, I think it was what, 78 teams Mm -hmm. that had lost a certain amount of games, a high amount, over like 25 games games by less than, yeah, seven points or fewer. And and Bobby lays it out. So go listen to that podcast. And in particular, I'm talking about the end. If just the turnaround of when you have a team that's kind of on, you don't want to say the brink, but it's so close that mm-hmm. there there is some leeway there to where they can make a big move up next year. Yeah, and, yeah, for sure. So uh, quickly to rehash that, I wish the Skin and I would have had more time to talk about that, but we spent like an hour and a half talking about prospects. We were like, uh, uh, who knows when we're going to pot again, so let's just talk about it now. Um, but 78 teams before this past season had lost 25 games or more by seven points or less. That's a lot of numbers, but basically 78 teams lost a lot of games by a few amount of points. And about 75% of them saw improvement the next season, and about 33% of them won at least 10 more games. Dang. So, like, you know, winning five more when you only won 24 games isn't going to help you much, but what if you win 13 or 14 more? Then it's like, okay... We're only, you know, five games out of the playoffs, 
and Dennis will be entering year three, and you get another, whatever, 11 or 12 pick or 10 pick or whatever in there, maybe something can happen. Yeah. You know? But, um, yeah, historically, teams that have lost a lot of close games the following season have taken huge steps forward. Yeah. We'll see if it can happen again. Who knows? And not a lot of them, you pointed this out in that podcast, but not a lot of them make drastic changes to the roster mm-hmm. outside of that Celtics team with KG and that trade and all that stuff. Yeah. But, like, a lot of them brought back a lot of the same crew. They just improved in different areas. Some guys improved, took steps in their career, and mm-hmm. it resulted in 5, 10, yeah. 15 more wins. Yeah, and two recent examples of that actually is uh, Minnesota, which last season – I keep saying last season because this season isn't over, but I mean 2016-17. Yeah. Um, last season it was Rubio and Towns and Wiggins. There was no Jimmy Butler. Um, and I think Bielitsa was still playing a lot of minutes for them. Gorgie Jang was still playing a lot of minutes. In fact, Towns and Jang played a lot together, I think, that year. Oh, so it was kind of a different team, but they lost a ton of close games. They were like kind of the, the 2014 Mavs lost like 12 games whenever they had double-digit fourth-quarter lead. Yeah. This Wolves team last year was that same exact thing. They just lost so many close games that they should have won. Ended up, I think, 20 games under five hundred. And then they did kind of make a major change. They got Jimmy Butler, but it's, and Rubio went out. So they basically swap for swap straight up, um, and they ended up winning almost 50. Yeah. Don't you discredit Jeff Teague. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. Jeff Teague is, Jeff Teague is nice, but uh, Jimmy Butler is a little better, I think. <laughs> a little bit better. Um, yeah, and then the other example is Boston. Yeah. So 2014, they won like 32 games or something. They were not very good. It's and horrible they ended up getting Marcus Smart, yeah. Um, I think they finished sixth worst in the NBA that year. They draft Marcus Smart. I think that's all they did. Uh, in fact, well, I want to say they maybe traded for Isaiah Thomas at the trade deadline mm-hmm. that year. That was whenever Phoenix sent out Dragic. They yeah, sent out Thomas. It's like that three-way or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and um, so they got Isaiah, but at the time he was just six-man. And, of course, they got Crowder. They traded away Rondo during that season to, to the Mavs. But anyway, they ended up going from, like, 32 wins to, I think, 40 or 41, and they made the playoffs. And then the following season, they got a little better. And the following season, they went to the conference finals. Yeah. So, and this year, they're in the conference finals again. Yeah. So, um, that's a very linear path, and they also had the help of a couple top five picks but uh, that they otherwise wouldn't have had. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, generally, if you lose a lot of close games – you're not going to lose as many the next year. It's very hard to do that. Yeah, and I like – I'm more of an optimist when it comes to a lot of these things. And there's a lot of Mavs fans that's like, we're so far away. We don't have very much. Like, this is going to be going on for such a long time. I like to hear and see stats like that, that it's not inconceivable that we're fighting for a playoff spot next year. And there has to be, obviously, some moves that happen this summer. Yeah, and a lot depends on what other teams do, too. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, like the Lakers, for example – they won, what, 37 or 38? It sounds like someone is, like, moving <laughs> furniture. I don't know what's going on in there. Or something. Um, but what if they go out and make a couple huge moves? Then all of a sudden, yeah. that's another team that you got to leap up. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I mean, I'm generally an optimist, too. And whenever you're at or very near the bottom, there's only one way to go. Yeah. So... Sooner or later, you're going to get you're gonna get better. Everyone gets later. better over time. There are some exceptions, but even the Wolves, man, they missed the playoffs for 20 years, and now all of a sudden it looks like they're going to be there for the next decade. Yeah. So, who knows, man. All right, question two. There's a lot of stuff I could we could just stay on that one question. Yeah, but sure. Moving on, question two. You travel with the team a lot. You're around the team a lot. You um, have relationships with players, different stuff. Give me – this is loaded, but I did give you a heads up beforehand. Give me a story that 
you haven't told or some Mavs fans don't really know a good funny story or just something? Okay, so a couple. Um, and it can't be the story that McMahon tells. No, about- no I won't tell that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely won't tell that one. Uh, and McMahon shouldn't tell that either. So, Tim, if you're listening, keep your mouth shut. Um, so, two stories. You get to see, like, traveling with the team. And I guess, I mean, you see this too, just being around the team, even at home. But whenever you're really close to these guys, like, yes, they're very serious about winning and very, very, very serious about basketball. But they're also young, wildly rich, wildly successful, famous, and they're like, they live on a plane during the season. So, like, everyone is a little relaxed. You yeah. know, they all enjoy themselves, they enjoy the, the finer things in life. Did Nerlens enjoy it? No, I'm just kidding. Just, just keep on going. <laughs> I'm sure he enjoyed it too. But uh, in the NBA, you spend a lot of time on buses. So huh. you bus at 7 in the morning. You bus at 2 in the morning. You bus at 3 in the afternoon. You take a plane. Then you get on a bus. You go to a hotel. You bus the game. You bus back. You bus to shoot around. Like, you spend a lot of time on buses. And um, the players are usually, you know, buried burying their heads on their phone, listening to music on Twitter, you know, liking a million pictures on Instagram. But uh, Dirk is not a big phone guy. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you can tell that. He's not a big. He's not big into technology. Okay. Um, I love he, his Twitter though. Yeah. No, he's great at Twitter. He's yeah. very efficient. Um, but yeah, he likes to kind of keep it keep it light on the bus. So uh, one day during the 2015-16 season, it was right at the end of the year. Um, we were in Utah, and it had been a while since I'd gotten a haircut. And most of the time, I like to keep my hair like the way it is right now is pretty long and getting yeah. like uncomfortable. But in at the, at that time, it was like two weeks further in the future than this. And uh, generally, yeah, like I said, I like to keep a buzz cut, but it was getting a little long. And my hair uh, is very thick, but it's like really long strands of thick hair. So when I get out of the shower, it's real frizzy for a while, even okay. if I dry it and everything like it. So it'll just stand up. So I kind of look like a troll, you know. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so I get on the bus and my hair's sticking up because I just took a, I was taking a nap or something and it was an early bus, so I was like, whatever, just take a shower real quick, hop on. So Dirk is right behind me and Parsons is right next to him across the hall, or across the aisle, sorry. And uh, I get on and like Parsons starts laughing at me. I just look at him and I'm like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, I'm just sitting here minding my own business. And then he said something. Uh, he said something about my hair. I don't know what he said, but he said something about it. And then I look at Dirk, and Dirk started laughing. And I was like, oh, at two Brute, like, don't laugh at me. And, uh, and Dirk goes, your head looks like a tennis ball. So they're just laughing about it. Like, the whole way to the arena, they're just, they're killing me for that. And then they're asking me questions about some of Utah's players. And, like, it was just, like, this real, like, that night, if they won, they clinched a playoff spot. And meanwhile, they're, like, on the way to the game. They're just making fun of my hair. Making fun of your So it was just, like, weird. Like, I was like, shut up. Shouldn't you be listening to music right now? Like, don't, don't be making fun of me. This is important. And uh, sure enough, they went out that night. Derek had a great game. They clinched a playoff spot. So it's just kind of like, you're whether you're, like, the star of the team or whether you're the lowest man on the totem pole, like, yeah. you're, you're fair game. They can make fun of you. You can make fun of them. And then uh, the other story on kind of the, the – the nicer, uh, less mean side of things is, um, you know, we get to the hotels at like two in the morning, like very late, just in the middle of the night, and it's always cold because the NBA is a winter league, and um, all of the staff unloads the trucks, like the the luggage truck comes from the airport with all the bags and stuff, and there's like 500 bags because 
you know, all the jerseys go in one bag, all the shoes go in this bag, all of the whatever, armbands and headbands go in this bag, not to mention everyone's luggage. So there's a lot of stuff to unload. So it's like 20 guys out there unloading all of it. And the players, typically, it's 3 in the morning. They don't care about this stuff. They'll just go to their room and get their bag the next day or have someone bring it up to them. Yeah. But uh, we're in Memphis in Thanksgiving time. So it's like late November, early December uh, in 2015. And it's 1.30 in the morning. And I know that because I looked at my phone because it was like 12 degrees. It was so cold. I was so tired and so mad. It was my first road trip. And I didn't know we had to do this. I was like, I didn't sign up for this. I want to go to sleep. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear like some foul language in German coming from behind me. And it's just Dirk sitting there at the luggage truck, you know, just helping us unload bags. Just So he's, he's with you guys all yeah, this time unloading yeah. the bags. At 1.30 in the morning, yeah, just probably cussing everybody out. But just, <laughs> you know, joking around, laughing, smiling. Everyone else is in their rooms, but Dirk is here getting his bag at 1 in the morning. So See, that's the stories I love. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And I mean, just because you don't get your bag doesn't make you a bad guy. Yeah. But like... It's pretty cool that this guy's... I mean, he didn't have to do it at all. If there's one player that didn't have to do it. Yeah, someone will bring you your bag and find... Like, you can go upstairs and, and, you know, and sit down and and get some rest and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, he was down there getting his bag. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Dirk's stories never get old. Yeah, he is a good dude. He's a very good dude. Everything you hear about him is true. Yeah. Everything. And that's why, like, I mean, I've only been around the team a couple years, and when people outside of the Mavs or sports... You know, a family member, whoever it is, just a friend. They're like, who's your favorite Maverick? You know, who's the coolest Maverick? Whatever. I'm like, man, I don't want to be cliche about it, but, like, Dirk's pretty cool. He's, like, the most, like, laid yeah. back, like, down to earth. Like, no matter who you are, like, he's going to be cool with you. And mm-hmm. It's like whenever you say that The Godfather is the best movie ever, which is true. But, like, people will be like, okay, whatever, you know, movie X is better yeah no it's really not like The Godfather is really good Dirk is really funny deal with it yeah Dirk is great there's no arguing yeah Dirk is the Godfather just admit it yeah alright let's take a quick break and hear from a sponsor okay so now let's focus on Mav stuff we are I'd say what a couple years um, kind of down years if you want to say in a row what do you we kind of alluded alluded to uh, playoffs, whether it's next year, year after that, hopefully in the next two or three years. What do you think the Mavericks need the most to get to take that next step? Uh, well, better puck luck, like we were talking about earlier in close games. That will help for sure. But that's not just like a matter of making shots and then missing. I mean, you do have to get better at closing out games. So like Dennis, for example, um, learning to control a game down the – down the finish line. I know that's like a real cliche, like um, uh, not concrete. What am I? Abstract. Yeah. Right. That's a real abstract concept. Of what does controlling a game mean? But it means like you go back. This time of year is always fun because every day is the anniversary of a Mavs playoff win. You yeah. Know? So you go back and you watch like Jason Kidd just shared that clip the other day from Game Four, I think, in OKC, and that's a really good example. Kid brings the ball down the floor is not in a hurry at all, knows exactly where Dirk wants the ball, gives it to him, and gets out of the way. And, like, you know, the Mavs right now, they don't really have, like, that go-to guy. In fact, Dennis is kind of kind of their go-to guy because he's really yeah. the creator, him and Barnes, I guess. But um, as the point guard, 
you know, your job is to, you have a lot of jobs, but your main job is to make sure that every time down the floor your team gets a good shot. Yeah. And it's pretty easy to do for 42 minutes, but the last six minutes of the game is always really hard. So that's where, as a rookie, you know, he picked up a lot of experience last year doing it over and over again. And there were some hiccups. There were some mistakes. Um, I think it was that Charlotte game, like right at the end of the year, they were down one or two. They kind of made a comeback, and then Dennis is bringing the ball up the floor and tried to, I think, go between the legs or cross over and just like kind of dribbled it off his foot. Like stuff like that is going to happen, and they ended up losing that game. Um, but then you're going to have games like the one in OKC on New Year's Eve where he just like torched Westbrook down the stretch. Yeah. He had like 10 points in that quarter. And um, he had a couple other really nice games too late, like that Washington game early in the year. So like, you know, if your point guard can help you get good shots, you're going to win close games. Yes. You're going to be more likely to win close games. So that's one thing. Um, otherwise, I mean, their bench is really good, but their starting lineup just is not as good. Yeah. Um, you know, all the plus-minus splits are interesting. Like, last year they had one of the best lineups in the league. That random lineup. Unit. Yeah. yeah. And then their starting lineup was one of the worst lineups in the league. Yeah. So, but you look at it and you say, well, wait a minute. I mean, no disrespect to Doug McDermott, but Barnes is more polished in many ways. Uh, Dirk is in both groups. Uh, Nerlens was starting for a little while, but then Dwight Powell was starting. Well, wait a minute, Dwight Powell's the best role man. Nerlens is coming off the bench. Why are they... Uh, well, what about J.J.? Well, Dennis is younger and more explosive than J.J., but, like, their starters are probably better players than their bench players, but a lot of other starting lineups in the NBA are better. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, whenever you're consistently playing against starters, if you're getting outplayed, that means you, you need better starters. And they hope to acquire a guy in the draft that can become a starter in time. Maybe not this year, but maybe in the future. Donnie's uh, put heavy expectations on that already dropping that big three reference multiple times sure yeah and uh i mean like so that's a good example actually that 03 Mavs team dirk finley and nash each averaged like 40 minutes a game nick van exel came off the bench but otherwise they did not have a lot of depth on that team they were able to win 60 games just because their starting lineup was so freaking good yeah like the warriors the first title they won their bench was insane this year their bench is like Kind of a weakness. It's almost. like whoever has a good game. Yeah, but that, that first year they won, they had Livingston, they had Leandro Barbosa. At the time, Iguodala was still coming off the bench. Uh, they had uh, a couple other guys, too. I don't even remember. But they had a really good bench yeah. right, the first year they won the title. So the Mavs have a really good bench right now. So it's can the starters that they do have, namely Dennis and Barnes, keep improving naturally? Can Powell keep getting better if he's even going to be the starter or not? And otherwise, it's can you develop a couple of these draft picks? Can you maybe make a move, free agency, trade, whatever? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've seen it time and time again. If you don't have that top-level guy, then you're probably not going to make the playoffs. Even if you do, you might not make the playoffs. Yeah. But if you don't have, like, a bona fide fringe all-star at least as your best player, then it's going to be tough to win 42 games. It's the, too many teams are too good, especially in the West. Too many good players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, you don't I – don't, I hate saying it was a waste, but, like, it's almost like our bench unit this year, like, it was wasted because because it was such a good bench unit. Like, so if good. this – like, this bench unit would – I think some of these playoff teams would die for that bench unit. Mm. And I was like, man, like, this would be an awesome bench unit for a contending team. Yeah. And it's like, I hate that it – I don't want – well – it went to waste, you know, on a year like this past year. Mm. But hopefully we can bring that back and run that bench unit again. And yeah. Well, that's part of what, whenever the Mavs traded Harris, Devin Harris, to Denver, 
it's like, man, Denver got themselves a really dang good player. Yeah. You know? And then the kind of the, if you're around the team, if you're a Mavs fan, if you're like really invested in Mavs basketball, you understand how good Harris is. But if you're just kind of a, if you live in Philadelphia or if you live in Detroit or whatever, you don't really watch a lot of Mavs basketball. Yeah. You see this guy, well, he plays 12 minutes a game. He averages four points and two assists. How is he that good? And then he goes to... Kind of like Al Horford. Yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah. like Al Horford. Only on a... Max yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, he goes to Denver and is like instantly playing like late in games and is helping change their bench. And it's like, wow, this guy's really good. Yeah. It's just you... Whenever you're a backup on a losing team, you just don't get a lot of shine. You know? Yeah. But uh, JJ, too, he had the best year of his career. Like, he would help every single team in the NBA. Yeah. And he definitely helps the Mavs. That is for sure. Heck yeah. Yeah. Him and Dirk together... Still, they're they're combined age. I think they're seventy five years old or something, and they're still killing guys. That's dumb. Yeah, and they can do it forever too. Okay, so this new—it's not really new—but people have this in their head that this new small ball, small ball's new. Um, how Golden State's running? How Houston countered it the other night with PJ Tucker and Ariza and running their own wing heavy Boston with their guys. If this is the the way that the whole league wants to go, you even see teams like Milwaukee or whatever running these big guys at point, the interchangeable wings, how much of an impact should it have when it comes to the draft for any of those teams at the top as far as the, this, this draft's obviously heavy of the bigs, mm. and then you got the you know some of the wings kind of. How... Do you think it will reflect come draft night probably more in the middle of the first round or top ten, or should it impact the draft as much? Or is it something we overhype? Well, that's a, that's a tough question because we <laughs> overhype everything. So that part of the question was easy, but the first part was tough. So let's go back in time to the early to mid-2000s. Um, the Lakers had won three championships in a row and had gone to a fourth straight finals. Shaq was murdering everybody. That offseason, the Mavs gave Eric Dampier like $50 million. Uh, the Spurs kept bringing in guys like Fabricio Oberto and just big-bodied guys. Every team in the West from 2002 to 2006 basically was just loading up with like five centers so that they could... Four Shaq. Yeah, four Shaq. Yes. But they were doing this whenever Shaq was already kind of over the hill. Mm. Like... Shaq went to Miami in 2005, 2004, like midway through that season, I think, or something. Yeah. Right before the year or whatever. And the Mavs had just given Dan Pierre this contract to guard Shaq, but all of a sudden he's not in their conference anymore. So all these teams that just spent like years and years acquiring all these big men suddenly didn't need them anymore. And the new wave of talent in the West was about Duncan, who was playing power forward, in quotes, Dirk, Garnett, so that you had these big power forwards, Chris Webber. And then it went to perimeter, like Kobe and T-Mac and all these guys kind of took the, uh, the mantle. So teams were so slow to react back then to try and get more big men. Uh, now teams are just now starting to get wings because they realize, like, oh, yeah, uh, whenever the Spurs won the championship in 2014, everyone could dribble and pass. Uh, the Warriors in 2015, everyone could dribble, pass, and shoot. So now teams are just finally starting to load up on wings. So, like, it's, this is like this four- or five-year uh, slow sort of like reaction. Yeah. Um, but now you look at like toward the future. Um, for the last ten years, Boogie Cousins has been really like the only unicorn big man in the league. 
like he came in in 2009, I think, or 2010. Yeah, and John could, he could he wasn't shooting threes back then, but he was running the floor and handling and doing all this stuff. It's like, oh my god, this guy's seven feet and he's doing all this stuff. And now in the last four or five years, Towns, Porzingis, Giannis is seven feet and he's handling the ball. All these like super tall Jokic, these super big guys are just killing it. So I feel like as the league continues to load up on wings, in five years, whenever Jokic and Towns are you know battling it off, I'm assuming in five years the Warriors will still be winning 70 games, but they'll be battling it off with those guys. Um, Anthony Davis, all these big guys will be killing everybody, and then the, the league will finally be like, okay, yeah, it's time to it's time to get big again. Yeah. So I think that. So you think that's the wave that's coming? Big guys. Are gonna come back. It's gonna cycle yeah. back through. Yeah, big guys are coming back. Just like we say, disco's coming back. Uh, <laughs> big guys are coming back, man. And I mean, they kind of already are. You can't really say that they are, I guess, because Towns' team finished eighth, Jokic's team finished ninth. Yeah. Um, but like, unicorn big men are the thing right now. Uh, or that's the thing that everybody wants. And in five years, if you don't have one, you're gonna be really sad that you didn't get one because then, by then, something else will be happening. You know, so you're gonna want to get whatever. Maybe you want to get a big point guard or something. I don't know. I don't know what the next thing is after that. But so I'm saying, what I'm saying right now is, if you draft a wing, you're kind of, uh, I guess to to paraphrase Mark Cuban, you're zagging while everyone else is zagging. You're like you're doing everything. You're doing the same thing that everyone else is. Yeah. So everyone is loading up on wings. You want Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. You want Giannis. LeBron obviously is incredible. Like wings are in vogue. Uh, if you draft a big man, I think you're kind of you're betting on the next wave. So by the time Golden State is done, if if they have an average life cycle, another four or five years probably, right? If they all stay together and stay healthy and everything, that's whenever Towns is going to be like 26 and Davis is going to be 27, 28, and those guys are going to be in the prime of their careers. Yeah. Porzingis, if he can stay healthy, and Jokic and all these other guys that are just killing it, and that's whenever you're going to want to have a big man to go up against those guys. So, like, if you if you draft one right now, I think you're betting on the future. Whereas if you draft a wing, I think you're trying to you're trying to keep up right now. Because if you don't have anyone that can guard KD, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, right? so, like, that's my only pushback, too, is, like, what if somebody looks at him that, okay, well, it looks like we might. Cleveland, I, don't know, I still think LeBron will pull through that series. But, like, if it's Boston and Golden State, it's like, well, these are all interchangeable wing-heavy teams. So mm-hmm. it's like... Will it take a team with a unicorn winning the title for that to fully be the wave? Well, here's a hot take. Isn't Al Horford kind of a unicorn? Is he? I Would mean, you he's consider a, He's a rim protector. Would you put him in that, can... like, Porzingis, Anthony well, Davis I don't know. type I mean, thing? Because the thing about, like, Anthony Davis is a super freak athlete, yeah. right? And Horford's just not. He's more like kind of the ground-bound guy. But he's a really good defender, and he can shoot threes. Yeah. I mean, so he's – that's kind of – yeah, and so and he can post up too, right? That's the super unicorn thing. Is like not only can you shoot threes, but can you punish guys down low? So like, yeah, because then you can't switch on them. It just makes everything so difficult. So I guess Horford is kind of a unicorn. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the really interesting thing about Boston is that they're winning with Brown and Tatum, but they're winning without Kyrie. And Rozier is doing a lot of Kyrie stuff, like taking a lot of shots and scoring a lot. But I think the real question is. Um, kind of the, the Warriors-Rockets series is becoming a referendum on, on ball handling and on, like, uh, teamwork and passing and stuff like that, which I think is unfair because Golden State is is historically good. But 
do you want to have one alpha on offense that everybody plays off of, or do you want all five guys to be able to do everything? Yeah. And that's kind of like you look at Boston. Tatum can score, Brown can score, Horford can score, but he can shoot. He can score down low. He can pass. So all these guys are multi-skilled, right? Like you, you don't have one guy. Like you don't have one LeBron that everything flows through. Yeah. The ball just moves to everybody. Philly, the ball moves constantly. Like it never, it never sticks anywhere. They have a lot of talented players, but everybody can do everything. Simmons can't shoot, but he can run the ball, and he's tall as as poo. Yeah. So he can he can punish guys down low. So like you have a bunch of multi-talented, multi-skilled players that you can all fit together, uh, and that's kind of that's kind of the way to win right now. I guess you know. Harden and Chris Paul, they won 65 games or whatever, but they don't really have a lot of help. Yeah. You know? And, so. like, what makes – and here's what – like, what is your definition of that unicorn? To where – what – because we saw Horford kind of expose Embiid some. Is Embiid – like, I feel like you have, like, Embiid, and then you have, like, the yeah. Capella types, mm-hmm. and then you have the, like, Horford – Towns types that like those guys can kind of switch off and hold their ground some. Mm-hmm. So like, which one is that wave? Because can Embiid survive against the switchy type guys? Well, I think I mean, I don't really I don't know these teams super well or anything, so I, I'm not ever going to try and get into players' psyches or anything. But yeah. uh, but Horford and the Celtics beating Philly and Embiid. Is kind of like I mean it's hard to say because Boston is so young too, but it's kind of just like a team getting its come up, you know, like yeah. Philly. It's a bunch of rookies basically, you know, and JJ Redick. Like all these guys are so young. It's the first time on the stage. Even Brown, you know, despite being a second year guy or third year guy or whatever he is now, he's he has playoff experience. Yeah, Tatum doesn't, but all of his other teammates do really. So and for Philly, every that was all so new for them. So I don't know if we can draw too many conclusions from that, but obviously if Embiid stays healthy, he's like incredible. Yeah, I mean, he could be. He's the unicorn's unicorn because he can truly do everything. He's a beast. Um, I don't. I mean, he's much a much better athlete, and he's bigger and taller. But he's kind of similar to Horford, I think. Like at his peak, he can be like a, a monster on defense, really good rebounder, and he can do everything on offense. Only he's just a little louder than Horford. Yeah. And he's going to score. Like, I think Horford probably never scored more than, like, 18. Yeah. And then Bede can probably get up to, like, 25 uh, if he can play enough minutes, I guess. Yeah. Shoots enough threes. But, um, yeah, like, I love Towns. Uh, I really like Horford. I love Embiid. Uh, Anthony Davis, I think, is different than those guys. Yeah. He's, he's much different. I think that he's, like, a... And this is might make people be like, "What are you even talking about?" But he's kind of like a bigger version of Barnes in that he's like the end point of the possession. Like you don't really give it to Davis five seconds into the shot clock and run stuff. Like you give it to him so he can shoot. Yeah. But you can give the ball to Embiid, or you can give the ball to Horford, or to Giannis, or to and Giannis is kind of a unicorn too because he's seven yeah. feet tall. You can give it to those guys and like run offense around them. Towns could run offense around them, so it's kind of it's kind of like a different thing. So I think if you can if you have a seven footer that you can give the ball to on any spot on the floor and still run offense, that is like mind blowing levels of uh, possibilities. So are you worried about the Capella and Gobert's? Like their viability in the future? Yes. Um, I don't know. I mean, 
without Capella, the Rockets would not have won 65 games, right? Yeah. So, like, is having him on your team and winning 65 worth going to the conference finals and losing to probably the best team ever? Like, yeah. I think so, you know? Yeah. Like, just because you lose to Golden State doesn't mean you're not good. Yeah, you know? well, exactly. And, yeah, Gobert kind of, he, it hurt to have him on the floor sometimes against these smaller, quicker guys. But without Gobert, Utah isn't even in the playoffs. Yeah. So, like, you have to, it's hard to justify that thing. Like, you, size wins in the regular season, skill wins in the playoffs. So that's why you want to have a big guy with skill. Yeah. And if you only have one or the other, then it's going to be tough to win. And my thing is, I think you just need to have the personnel to have the ability to go small. Like, yeah. if you need to, like, to where, like, Gobert is awesome and he helped him get there, but having somebody like a Jay Crowder on the bench that if you do face a team that goes small and you're like, and you do make that decision that I want to match up with them, that you have that ability. I'm okay with having a guy like Capella or Gobert as long as you can get the personnel that you can play a different style come to the play, come to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, for and, sure. Well, one thing we saw this year, uh, my guy, Maxi Kleba, and I mean, he's not going to be. A all-star or whatever like Gobert is but yeah. like he can stay in front of smaller guys yeah like really well and I know you're not the biggest Dwight Powell guy in the world but he can kind of do the same thing I mean yeah. he's not gonna well he got so much better yeah no he did for, for sure. sure I mean but he's not gonna be the at least he's not right now the guy that you can put and anchor your defense yeah you know? but he can step out and guard guys on the perimeter so if you have the Klebers and the Pals, you don't have to have the all-NBA level guy as long as you have centers who, like you said, can move their feet a little bit. True. So that they can be a center on offense, but they can be kind of a forward on defense. Yeah. You know, because if Golden State puts Katie at five, what are you going to do? How are you going to stop that? Yeah. Like, forget about Draymond. They could go Katie at five and still field like a title-winning lineup. It's, it's insane to think about. But uh, there's so much quickness that – Unless your big can do everything, then it's going to be hard to keep him on the floor. But without him, you're not even there to begin with. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a conversation that can that could go on for oh, a while. Oh, yeah, for sure. For a yeah, while. and it's tough to relate it to this draft. But, I mean, I guess the, the two names, you're probably talking about Bamba Jackson. Yeah, kind of. Kind of Bamba's the more, like, Gobert Capella style of uh -huh. like big guys that's going to patrol the paint. Jackson does a little bit of that, but he can also step out. I think it's just – I told this to Skin whenever we were talking about them on our podcast is – uh, which guy you prefer says more about you than it does about them. Yeah. It's just kind of like your own opinion. For you sure. Know? So I think both can be really good. That's they, that's the whole happen. thing with, like, especially Mavs Twitter right now. Everybody, and it's cool. Like, we all have our own opinions. It's the people that respond to you and be like, you're so wrong. Yeah. Like, there's no way. There's no right opinion. <laughs> you know, it's all just opinions. Like, guys, we all have our guys that we just personally like here and there. Yeah, and, and honestly, unfortunately, there's a really good chance that we could all be wrong. There's yeah. a chance that neither of them pan out. There's a chance that they both go to the Hall of Fame. But, like, we just, nobody knows. Yeah. So what's the use of getting worked up about it, you know? Exactly. Okay. Unless, unless you're paid to draft them. In which case, <laughs> please, God, take it seriously. Please you know? take it seriously. Yeah. Okay, so of the, the top ten guys, let's talk about actual dudes. And in a general draft um, way, not specifically mass. General okay. draft-wise, top ten, twelve guys. I'm going to say, like, um, a title, and you give me a a player that will fit this. Okay. So, and for instance, this is kind of like just like on my ideal NBA team. Yes, of, your okay. ide ideal NBA team. Just you, what your thoughts as a prospect. Okay. So, like, first one is 
who who's the home run pick? And let's try to leave Luca and Aiden out of it because a lot of people want to say they're top two. Yeah, if, and if you're taking one or two overall, you're expected to be a home run. Exactly. Yeah. So out of the top 10, 12 lottery group of players, who's the home run pick that when you take him, you're swinging for the fences, and it could be a grand slam, but there's some mystery around it. Okay. You're, uh, you love mysterious I do love, prospects. I do love mysterious everything. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give you two answers because this is kind of like a – You there's cheater. A, there's a big draft and there's a wing draft. Okay. Right? There's kind yeah. of two categories. So the home run of the wings, um, as much as I love uh, Mikhail Bridges – like, Miles Bridges just shows a little more ability to kind of score, create. Mm-hmm. So, in this league where everyone wants wings, if he's six 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 seven, whatever he is, pretty long arms, pretty sturdy, switchable uh, on defense and on offense, and if he can create his own shot and give you, like, I don't know, even thinking about projecting numbers makes me feel dirty because I hate when people do this. But, like, if he could be, like, an 18-point, 19-point-per-game guy, pretty efficient, can shoot the three and can switch on defense, like, that is really, really good. Yeah. You know, I don't know if that's an all-star, but that's, like, the glue of a team that goes on runs every year. I thought yeah. he would measure a little bit different at the mm-hmm. combine. 6'6", yeah, six, 6'9", six, six, wingspan. Yeah, so he's not as tall or as long as Mikhail. Yeah. But he can and just... He, I love Mikhail. Same, I know. Same. I Yeah, and you're, like, one of the few people that I know loves Mikhail also. Yeah. I prefer Mikhail to Miles, but yeah. Miles just because he's a home got, run pick. Yeah, because he's got he was kind of like the alpha guy at Michigan State. You know, he like would take the last second shot. He was not afraid to have the ball in his hands late. So like if he can be that guy, which obviously there's only twenty of them in the NBA, but I guess yeah. that's the home run, right? You hope that he can. You hope he can create and be the kind of the do everything guy. But um the downside is, I mean, the home run implies that you could also strike out. The downside yeah. is that if you take him ahead of Mikhail, Mikhail seems to be the safer guy, really good defender, incredible shooter, you know. So it's kind of, which quality do you want more? Do you yeah. want a guy who can create, or do you want a guy who can kind of be the glue? And it has probably a lot to do with your personnel also. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So like a team like Cleveland, for example, they kind of need some creation. Yeah. A team like... Um, I mean, a, a team like the Mavs is tough because, on the one hand, they do kind of need creation because they only have one or two guys that can create. But on the other hand, they have one or two guys that can create. So do you want another guy that needs the ball? Yeah. Like, kind of so like Philly. Kinda Philly would probably be better suited for Mikel yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think than, so. like, Miles. Yeah, probably because they are more – yeah, Ben Simmons and Embiid are kind of the fulcrum. Their guys, yeah. Everything else is people moving around them. Yeah, so yeah. that's a lot to do with personnel. Who's, yeah, who's your home run Home big? run for the bigs. Uh, okay, so home run again implies that they, that you might miss, but uh, I guess of the bigs, and how far down are we going here? This is top ten, top twelve. Top twelve, yeah, fourteen. Anybody mention that lottery? Okay, um, man. Uh, I well, okay. So I've been a long time secret closet Robert Williams fan. Okay. Uh, from A and M. I think that he's like a maniac on defense, or he can be. Yeah. Uh, and I think that he can be like a big time jumper on offense. So, uh, I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of home run. Like last year, John Collins, for example. Yeah. I consider that a home run. He was taking what nineteenth overall. Yeah. And he had an awesome rookie year. He's he could be like a fifteen and ten guy. That's really good. Heck yeah. Like if you could be a, a Tyson Chandler like guy, really good defender, really good lob guy. That's pretty good. Um, and then also, I mean, if we're talking at the very top of the draft, um, 
probably, I mean, I guess Bamba, just because he's so big, so long. Yeah. And uh, if he can shoot threes really the way that the workout videos, videos. seem to indicate. Yeah. yeah which don't, look, don't look into workout videos either. That's, that's silly. But um, if he can shoot threes like that, yeah. and if he can become that anchor, um, then that could be really good. But that goes back to the Gobert thing, you know, is really good good enough? Yeah. Or do you have to be like... How good is good? Yeah, but then again, you look back at the... Who were the last... When was the last time that a really good center was on a championship team? Yeah. I mean, that, if we consider Draymond a center, then last year, but that's kind of... I don't like to consider disingenuous because he doesn't always play center for them. Yeah. I mean, you're going back a long, yeah. long, long way. I mean, I'm so. thinking of like Shaq and David Robinson. Yeah. And I mean, Tyson I mean, was really good for the Mavs. But yeah. Shaq for the Heat, we don't want to think about that. Yeah, I mean, the Heat were winning championships with Chris Anderson as their starting center. Yeah. I mean, so it's just tough, man. Centers are, centers are tough. Big men are very tough. But I, like I said, they're coming back. They're coming back. They're going to come back. That's they're Tommy's gonna, prediction, they're man. They're making a comeback. Who, okay, of those uh, that group of players, who's the... Who has the highest ceiling? Who's the guy that gets picked in the top ten that everybody's like, man, that's a good pick, good safe pick? Excluding those two, the top, right? Yes, Dante excluding Doncic and eight. Okay. Um, whew, ceiling. So that's kind of different from home run because ceiling means, like, odds are they're going to be really solid. Yeah, right? they're going to be – the the prospect in the top ten that will – in top 12 that is locked in for a ten-year career. Okay. Um – Probably our guy from Villanova, man, Mikael Bridges, okay. I think, just because he does a lot of things really well. Um, does it mean he's going to be an all-star? Nah. Yeah. Does it mean he's ever going to even average double-digit points? Nah. But, like, can he be P.J. Tucker? Yeah. P.J. Tucker's had a really good career. Uh, can he be Trevor Ariza? Can he be one of those guys that just stick around forever? I mean, he can shoot better than Aminu, and he can defend maybe just as well. I mean, we haven't seen it yet, yeah. but... A better shooting Aminu, like as a Mavs fan, you know exactly how good he could, how he, how good he was when yeah. he was making his I three. I love Aminu, you know, man. Yeah, and guys like that find a way to stick around. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think I think Bridges for sure, just because he could like not only will he look good on the floor, but his numbers could look good too. Yeah, you know? like you'll look at his stats and say, wow, he's a forty percent three point shooter. That's really good. That's if it pans out, of course. Yeah. But, I mean, he shot 43% in college. That's 43%? Insane. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's my answer. Who is, last one in this category, who is the guy that needs the perfect system for him? The guy that might go to a different team and he might not excel very much, but if he hits, he needs a certain type of system for him the most. Okay. Whew. That is tough. Um, so I'll give you mine while you think. Mine's Mo Bamba because mm-hmm. I think Bamba needs a role. Well, I can talk about Mass Fit. I need. I think he needs a role like he would have with Dallas. I think he needs a role like Capella has in Houston. I think if Bamba goes to a team like Atlanta or something to where he is maybe asked to post up or he's asked to be their like third leading scorer or something like that that he might struggle a little bit more so like I think Bama needs a system to where there's there's some defined roles of like his strengths would be his defined role and not a ton would be asked for him so yeah, like I mean I would even extend that honestly to every big man 
yeah. in the draft, even Aiden, just because when you're a 19-year-old big man, you're going to do a lot of things that's going to drive your coach nuts, and you're probably... We don't, we don't know what that's about. No, no, not at all. <laughs> never happens here. Uh, and you're probably going to be asked to do to be very limited. Aiden might be an exception just because he's already so polished, you know? Yeah. But um, all these other guys are probably going to have very limited roles early in their careers. So, and the, the problem with big men, like we saw with Alex Lynn, like he kind of showed flashes this year, but is he going to, what's, what's he going to do? He's a free agent now. Yeah. Julius Randle, he kind of had a breakout year this year. He had a breakout half season, but now he's a free agent. Like it takes you, and he's only six eight or something. But yeah. if you're seven feet, you're trying to catch up with guards and wings in this league, it's going to take you four years to figure it out, if not longer. And so your team better like the progress that they've seen because once it comes time to pay you, if you're not worth $100 million or something, then it's going to be tough. Yeah. So um, whether that's Bombo or Jackson or even Aiton, man, I mean, if you're a big guy, then you better excel at the little things. Otherwise, you might not get the chance to do big things. It's kind of unfair, but that's... No, there's true. a lot of responsibility, just like there is being point guard. Yeah, you know, and we see it with point guards all the time. That's why Dennis kind of demonstrating that he can get a better command on things is going to be big for his development. Because even if the shooting numbers aren't there, at least everything else is. Would Dennis be the first point guard taken in this draft? Over like Trey Young and uh, Sexton? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I would think. I mean, it's tough because I think people... We had uh, the picture of Dennis coming out last year, not what we know. Like, yeah, I mean, seen. they were, people weren't very fair on Dennis last year, I think, because his team wasn't very good. Oh, God, I hated um, all that which, stuff. Which, man, if you watch one second of NC State basketball <laughs> last year, you realize, like, it is not fair. <laughs> and, to like, Jackson. all this stuff, like, it's coach getting fired, but sticking around. Like, there's, yeah. I hated but, all that stuff. Well, he played in a two-post offense, and his posts weren't that good. So, yeah. like, you need him in space. But uh, I think that Dennis would probably, I mean... Definitely be in the top five. Yeah, I don't know if he'd be thought of higher than like Doncic and Aiden just because they're. I think he would be like pegged to Atlanta right now in my graphs. Uh, yeah. Well, given their team situation, yeah, kind of, yeah, probably. Like something like that in Mm -hmm. top five pick. Yeah. 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 If I mean, you can make the argument he should have been last year or would have if his team would have been better. Or those the you probably love these the redrafts. Oh yeah, the redrafts. Yeah, Yeah. the redraft (laughs) makes sense. You have just listened to part one of my conversation with Bobby Corrala. Part two will drop tomorrow on Friday, where we kind of go into the second half of my 10 questions with Bobby, to where we talk about things like what prospect could fall in the top 10, a prospect could go higher than some expected, uh, maybe some prospects uh, in the second round that Bobby likes, and kind of a glimpse into the summer of what maybe this summer Uh, could look like and how it could be different than past summers so stick around for tomorrow part two will drop on friday peace out